and we're live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. I'm your host, Johnny K. Happy Independence Day in America, in the United States of America. Happy July 4th. As you know, this is a day of remembrance of July 4th, 1776. The Declaration of Independence was signed. Um, well, I thought it was, a, maybe it was signed the third. I'm not sure. But yeah, anyways, Independence Day. Um, I learned a lot today about who signed that Declaration of Independence and how much shenanigans these people went through. These people, a lot of them who signed it were wealthy, were already had, you know, enormous wealth and property and stuff like that and big families. And they gave it all up for liberty, for liberty. And now in 2023, we are just tossing it away like it's nothing. We're just giving it away. People are asking for liberty and freedom, justice for all, pursuit of happiness, to be taken away. They're like, take it, take it, take it. We don't want it anymore. We don't want it anymore. We've had enough of this whole freedom thing. Please bring us tyranny. Please bring us tyranny. That's what's happening. But there are enough truth seekers, enough people out there that value freedom like this podcast, like you, the listener, like us, our community. And we want to hold on to freedom, okay? We want freedom for our children and their children, their children's children, and children, children of all children of children. That's what we want because freedom is the way to go. That is how you become prosperous. We don't want a neo-feudal class with the elites and the peasants. We don't want that anymore. We want the peasants on top of the elites. Maybe that is still the same system, but it's upside down, if you know what I mean. It's much better. We want the ruling class to be the peasants. That is the purpose of this podcast, and that is what we're getting into today. So please subscribe to the Jonathan Cogan Show wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Rumble channel. Follow on Twitter at KOGZ for incredible video clips, incredible just truth bombs, okay? Like like World War Three style truth bombs at KOGZ. So today we are going to be playing a long speech that we're going to dissect. One of the most important speeches I've seen in some time. Seriously, I promise you, if this podcast is worth it, unsubscribe, get rid of it. Never listen to the Jonathan Cogan show again. If you enjoy this episode, share it with somebody. Share it with one person for independence, for freedom, for love, for humanity. That's all I ask. That's the advertisement today. All right. So this speech is called The Guide to Escaping the Woke Matrix. And it's by Michael Schellenberg, and it was about five days ago, very recent, okay? And you probably haven't heard it because it's nowhere to be found. But what do we do on this podcast? We find you everything you need to know. So I think this is a mind-blowing podcast or video speech. This is very, very, very good, very important. In fact, it's the most important time ever to listen to something like this. So I highly encourage you to listen to this. I highly encourage you to think through it. We'll break it down in different you know, sections of it, but let's get this started. Again, Michael Schellenberger's Guide to Escaping the Woke Matrix. This is unbelievable. Here we go. You've all heard the news. Climate change is destroying your future. Carbon dioxide is accumulating in the atmosphere. The planet has warmed 1.1 degrees centigrade since the pre-industrial period. Global warming is killing the Great Barrier Reef. We also know that police killing black people is a pandemic. Murders of trans people over the past four years. More to this story. Carbon emissions peaked in Great Britain 
over 50 years ago. Same thing in France, the United States, and indeed over the last decade, total global emissions declined. Why haven't you read that in the New York Times or the Washington Post? Deaths from natural disasters have diminished to a few hundred a year in the United States, even as the global population quadrupled over the last century, they've declined internationally by over 90%. The cost of disasters everywhere is on decline. Why is nobody telling you that? As a result of declining deaths from extreme weather events and declining costs, what gets counted as a natural disaster has also declined. There's only one database that tracks natural disasters. It's the MDAT data center in Belgium. And total global weather and climate disasters have declined. How come nobody is saying that? The Great Barrier Reef recorded the highest amount of coral in 36 years, and maybe longer, because that's the amount of time that we've been studying and measuring the, the great coral, the reef on the great coral, on the Great Barrier Reef. Why is nobody telling you that? These are my books. After I lost all of my friends and all of my financial support, <laughs> it, uh, not an intuitive move, 40s, I had to put all my heartbreak into a single book, Apocalypse Never, which came out in 2020. I had the good fortune of it selling, and so I got to write a follow-up book, which was to understand why do people who say they care more than anybody else let people suffering from schizophrenia smoke fentanyl and have the bottom parts of their legs rot where they are then taken the hospital have the bottom parts of their legs amputated, why do they then put them back on the street? Why do we spend 10 times more than other cities on homelessness and have victims? How is that compassionate and why is it done in the name of care? There are no racial in police killings when accounting for whether or not the suspect was armed or a threat, justified or unjustified. Everybody knows there's no real debate about that. The has done the most to discover this is Harvard University. You might have heard of Harvard University, and yet nobody talks about this. Police killings of African Americans declined from 217 per year. 157 per year in the 2010s in 58 of the largest U.S. cities. That's based on FBI data that Moggs and I personally crunch. This is wonderful news. Police killings of all races declined dramatically from 59 per year between 1975 to 12 per year. Now, the killings in San Francisco and Oakland did increase slightly from 2.7 to 2.7. 3.8 per year, respectively, and this is 0.4 and 3.9. But per capita in those two cities declined by 8.3%. So when you account for the increase in population, it also declined. 
Researchers do not know if trans people are being killed distantly in comparison to cisgender people, nor do they know if trans homicides are rising, nor if trans people are being killed for being trans or for some other reason. There is no debate over this data. And yet CBS News irresponsibly and other news outlets suggest that they are. It would upset you, especially if you care very much about trans people, because what you would not want to do is have a bad baseline for monitoring such terrible forms of violence. Why in the world does everybody get it so horribly wrong? Horribly wrong. I just want to make sure we're at the right spot. So he was just getting into how lab leaks have happened for over 50 years. It's nothing new. It happens all the time. Okay. And so we'll continue the speech from there. Yeah, that the COVID might have leaked from a lab was obvious to everybody, including the scientists who emailed Anthony Fauci on January 30th, 2020. In their email to him, they said, we think it's more likely to be a lab leak. Several days later, Fauci perpetuated a disinformation campaign that suggested that you were a racist for suggesting that the COVID-19 virus came from a lab, but not a racist if you thought it came from Chinese people eating bats. That happened. People said it was misinformation that vaccines had side effects. People said that the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation, not that it fell into a bathtub because Hunter Biden was hammered and smoking crack. Instead, somehow the Russians had gotten Hunter Biden's laptop data and then got it onto a laptop and then dropped it off at a computer repair store. Most cockamamie story, a conspiracy theory, and it was perpetuated by senior members of the U.S. government. Hired and employed. And people say that the Twitter files just showed people doing content censorship. I, before we go on, I just want to say real quick, these were five disinformation campaigns coming from the highest levels of the United States government simply from 2020 to 2023. These are five massive operations that have occurred from the 2020 to 2023. Just the past three years, these five massive operations. So just think about what perhaps has occurred since before then. So in the past three years, five massive operations. I, I just, the scale, that's unbelievable. All right, let's continue. These are senior elected officials who carried out this disinformation campaign. We now know absolute certainty that the FBI should never have launched that probe. Here's the email from the senior scientist to Fauci. Some of the features potentially look engineered. The furin cleavage site that does not belong on the spike protein was obviously engineered, and people knew that right away. And yet the Washington Post suggested that Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. The original headline, which Washington Post changed without acknowledging it on their article, said that he was spreading a debunked conspiracy theory. The Washington Post, which broke the famous Watergate scandal, spreads disinformation. 
Fauci and his colleagues constructed a fake science article, greatest, the formerly greatest medical journals in the world, suggesting conspiracy theory were what those lab leak hypotheses were. The Great Barrington Declaration, co-authored by a new friend, Jay Bhattacharya of Sanford University, that Jay Bhattacharya is a fringe epidemiologist, a full professor at Stanford University, and one of the most beautiful individual people you'll ever meet. I second that. And Francis Collins, the head of the National Institutes of Health, the greatest medical organizations in the world, formerly greatest, said that there needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of his premises. The Great Barrington Declaration argued that the approach to the pandemic should be the approach to the pandemic that everybody agreed the approach to a pandemic should be before there was a pandemic, <laughs> known as focused protection of the most vulnerable, but allowing children to go to school actually learn something. I don't want to make it personal need to name names when you're uncovering bad behavior. And this person, Renee Dresta, is the smartest of the people in every room she's in, and she's a former CIA fellow, ostensibly former. One of the things that you learn when you interview people in the intelligence community is they say, nobody retires from the intelligence community. Nobody retires from the... This is a person who ran a censorship operation with US taxpayer dollars that involved the Department of Defense, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Homeland Security. It subcontracted out the censorship work to four organizations uh, that constituted the creme de la creme, people that went to places like Harvard and Stanford and apparently had their consciences ripped out from their hearts and their brains and got themselves in a situation of censoring the rabble or what Hillary Clinton calls the deplorables for doing things like questioning the elections or sharing stories of vaccine side effects on Twitter. And this was such a smashing success that they're now exporting to other countries and there's nothing that's been done to stop this. Our work has not stopped. This is continuing. So I just want to add one more thing about uh, her. Uh, so if you haven't listened to it, uh, Michael Schellenberger, not that long ago, a couple months, was on Joe Rogan and exposing all this. Must listen to episode on Joe Rogan. And he said on that podcast that she, that this woman was a snob, okay? And since Joe Rogan's audience is massive, okay, way bigger than all mainstream media combined, times 10, probably, uh, she contacted Spotify with these censorship agencies or disinformation agencies uh, to take down that podcast episode. And so Schellenberger and Joe Rogan had to show evidence that what they said about her was true with all of this stuff. And since it was true, they were unable to take the episode off of Spotify. She was unable to get the episode taken down because what they said about her was in fact true. Okay, so just that just gives you an idea of what is going on. A lot of the stuff being censored. I mean, a big one is particularly around Bobby Kennedy Jr. 
on on YouTube, they're taking down Theo Vaughn's episode, Mike Tyson's episode. A lot of the things they take down is because what they're saying is actually truthful. So if something is taking down because of censorship, you should always go listen to it for yourself. No matter what you think of that person, no matter how you perceive them, no matter what you're told about them, you should always listen to it and then compare that from firsthand knowledge from the source and then go read the mainstream media reports about that particular person or that particular episode. And then you use your own critical thinking skills, which by the way, critical thinking is a threat to democracy, experts say. No, I'm just kidding. But that's probably gonna be a headline soon. Uh, you need to go to the source, listen to it, then go cross-check that against mainstream media. And then you need to find out the truth for yourself. No one's gonna do it for you. They're gonna try to get you to go the wrong direction on purpose. So you always need to listen to the source, especially if it's censored. That's my biggest piece of advice for you to find the source of truth. Let's continue. Here's what Twitter did to Jay Bhattacharya. They on a blacklist. The word blacklist is my word. That's the Twitter word. You can see it right there in yellow on his profile, trends blacklist. You can imagine the shock that overcame Barry Weiss Matt Taibbi and I, when we saw this, he's one of the most important epidemiologists in the world, and he was on a blacklist because he suggested doing with the pandemic what everybody agreed we should do during the pandemic before there was a pandemic. The behavior from the White House was, is remarkable. Thuggish would describe it, bullying. Rob Flaherty, in particular, who sent this email to Facebook and got this response back from Facebook, whose names we shielded, not the, not the public officials, their names should be known. And the Facebook executive said, sir, yes, sir, please know that we are censoring even true stories of vaccine side effects. So mothers sharing stories of their children getting sick from the vaccine had their posts censored without their knowledge so that other mothers would not see them. This, and there's no debate about that this happened. I'm sorry, I have to make a comment on that. That is a crime against humanity. For mothers not to be able to see the truth of other women, other mothers showing that their kids were harmed so that they wouldn't make the same mistake, them consciously taking that off, knowing it's true, censoring it, knowing it's true, so that other mothers would potentially hurt their own children. That is a crime against humanity. This is absolutely the lowest of low. This is not a normal government. This is not normal what's happening. This is a massive operation against the people. I don't know what else can expose it more than that. They knew it was true. They still did it because they still wanted the children to get a medical procedure that was experimental. That is sick, that is twisted, that is wrong, and we all should agree on that because we all must protect the children. That's what we're supposed to do as adults is protect children. There's a lawsuit about this, and only a question is violated the First Amendment. It's still, in my humble view, as a non-First Amendment scholar, a violation of the First Amendment to have the government have other people demand the censorship or to demand that Facebook engage in the censorship. Matt Taibbi discovered that in this email from the Virality Project, which was a project funded by US government contractors, that they demanded that Twitter 
sensor, and you can see it in the yellow highlight in the middle, true content which might promote vaccine hesitancy. It's not that the information was wrong, because of course the First Amendment also protects wrong information, but they wanted to censor accurate information because they were worried that people might get the wrong idea and choose not to get the vaccine. I got the vaccine, I got, I got boosted, nothing, I love, vaccines are a miracle, but this is totalitarian tactics, this kinds of information. FBI came to us, said Mark Zuckerberg, as he has rapidly sought to shift the blame, away from taking responsibility. The FBI came to us and were like, hey, you should be on the I thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in 2016 election. There's about to be some kind of dumps that. He's referring to the FBI coming to them to say that they should be ready to censor the Hunter Biden laptop. That's weird because there had been no publicity of the Hunter Biden laptop yet. Perhaps it's just a coincidence that the FBI had been sitting on the Hunter Biden laptop for, uh, almost a year. And the beginning, Twitter was under intense pressure. We have seen a sustained effort by the intelligence community to push us to share more info and change our IP, API policies. They're probing and pushing everywhere they can, including by whispering to congressional staff, complained the Twitter director of policy on January 2020. The story exploded on October 14th. Twitter's internal safety trust instrument, which is the censorship department at Twitter, evaluated the New York Post article and they, they concluded that it did not violate Twitter's terms of service, that the article was entirely, there was no evidence that it was inaccurate or that it was a result of hacking. They censored it anyway. Here's the subpoena from the FBI confiscating the laptop in December 2019, of almost a year before the New York Post story. Here's the signature by Hunter Biden on the receipt dropping the laptop off at the computer store after he had dropped it in the bathtub or the pool. <laughs> Weirdly enough, in the Twitter files, we discovered that there had been pushing for how to not cover the Hunter Biden laptop months before the New York Post published an article about the Hunter Biden laptop. The Aspen Institute doing gathering journalists to talk about how not to cover a story that even broke yet. What is going on here? Why is it that they were programming journalists to disregard the, one of the most important journalistic principles that's been in place for over 50 years? It's known as the Pentagon Papers Principle, and it's if it's a blower comes to you, and they have documents showing that the Pentagon knows that they're losing the war in Vietnam, that the New York Times and the Washington Post shall publish those documents because that's important interest, and God damn it, it's protected by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That is what journalists do, and the New York Times and the Washington Post, that, that article, the Pentagon Papers, they won their Pulitzers for it, they defended it in court, and they won it at the Supreme Court. Steven Spielberg thought it was such an amazing story, he made a movie about it. The Aspen Institute with Stanford, with U.S. federal government money, has been attacking this, saying don't cover the material, cover the person who leaked it. You might remember that they disparaged Daniel Ellsberg, the, 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 Nixon, the Nixon folks, because he'd been going to a psychotherapist, so they tried to suggest he was a crazy person. That tactic is now being used by Democrats to disparage anybody who leaks information.
central to the public interest. Like, how is the war in Ukraine going? Interests that we share, that are public interests, that are protected by the First Amendment, that are precisely why the people that created our country demanded that there be the First Amendment to the Constitution. They didn't want the Constitution to even be in place. They didn't want a United States of America unless there was a First Amendment. That's how important it was. That's why they made it first. It's now being attacked by the people who claim to be the defenders of liberalism and democracy. It's being attacked right now. Here's the, the irony. little memo they created. You can see at the top, September 2020, Aspen Digital Hack and Dump Working Group, how to, get, how to brainwash journalists over the obvious thing that's sitting in front of their face. It's all done in the name of protecting people, fragile people, and need to be protected from information, which is so dangerous. Here's Twitter's top censor, Yul Rock. He said, you know, we got to get to Jack Dorsey, the CEO. We got to... We gotta, we gotta start by censoring, without anybody knowing it, information that directly causes harm. Now they're trying to read your text messages. Pierre Amidiar, who made his money on eBay, spinning off a Defense Department technology, they're now trying to read your encrypted text messages. And they're trying to create something called tip lines to turn everybody into little narcs. Why you don't need the Stasi, you just have each other to go and report on your wrong think to the FBI or the CIA or whatever have it. Jacinda Arden, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who was so unpopular because her COVID policies were so wrong, hurt so many people, she's been picked up by Harvard to head up censorship initiative. She's working with Facebook and Google to it's much easier now to censor because there's only two important platforms, maybe just one, Facebook and Twitter. I mean, imagine having to censor hundreds of newspapers. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just censor Twitter and Facebook. It's much worse than you think, a whistleblower told me who works for all the social media companies. There's a complex where cancellations and pressure campaigns are well organized by outside. It's a total conflict waged in every school business and platform. Is it a conspiracy? Is it a culture? Yes. Conspiracy means to breathe together. It's cancel culture with an inorganic overlay that we call the industrial complex. This here, it has arrived. It's in place. Our job now is simply to dismantle and defund it. So how did this happen? How, what was going on here? Propaganda, according to Jacques Ellul in his great book, draws on existing values. We want to move beyond racial discrimination. We want to move beyond discrimination against sexual minorities. And so they tap into that. It, propaganda uh, is about controlling the information environment. The concern of advocates of disinformation isn't to wipe out every instance of a piece of information. Hunter Biden laptop story got out there but people like Wolf and my, my mother and everybody in my liberal family all thought it was Russian disinformation. So the censorship was purpose of the disinformation. It's not that the censorship, they know they can't be total. They don't need to be total. They just need to brainwash you into thinking that something is wrong when it's right. What is going on in 2010? Something happened. Uh, Zach Goldberg, Manhattan Institute, finds that the terms racist and racism just exploded into the news media in this period. And little surprise then that the ideology follows. How big of a problem is racism? 
it's a much bigger problem than people had thought. People thought it was a declining problem for years. People thought that um, relationships between white and black Americans had been pretty good, 70% since the last 20 years, and they just, after you're repeatedly through propaganda that things have gotten worse somehow. Some of this is just the elites in an absolute panic after the elections of 2016 and Trump. They had to get control of the information environment. They had to be able to wage war when they wanted to wage war. They had all these overproduction of elites sitting around after they had successfully prosecuted the war on terror. They needed something to do. They turned inwards. And they tapped into cancel culture, what we call wokeism, as predicates for censorship. Why, though? Why? Why? Why can't we just live in peace and have debates and free speech? Why? Part of it, I think, has to do with the fact that nobody believes we don't have the traditional value systems that we used to have. This is a very old trend. This is what Friedrich Nietzsche wrote about in the mid-19th century, the death of gods. We don't believe, we don't have traditional moral structures. The percentage of Americans with no religious identity has risen dramatically. Ernest Becker in his brilliant Pulitzer Prize winning 1975 book said, man cannot endure his smallness unless he can translate it into meaningfulness at the largest possible level. The idea that we just die and turn into worm food is pretty depressing, particularly if you think that your life isn't very exciting or interesting. So we overcompensate by constructing monuments to our lives. We can rest assured knowing that our names will live on. These are called immortality projects, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them, particularly made and create beautiful projects. The idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It's like a mainspring of human activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death, to overcome it. By denying that it is the final destiny of man, we deny it, we sublimate it, we create monuments, we write books, political campaigns, but things can go terribly awry when we're of a, of a positive moral framework. The problem of disbelieving in God is not ends up believing in nothing. It's much worse. He ends up believing anything. A new external authority you used to get right by God, now you get right by nature. You used to feel guilty for Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge, now you feel guilty that we started using fossil fuels and technology and nuclear power and modern agriculture. We're guilty, 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 guilty. Nature's angry at you. It wants to punish you. There's no redemption, but you might avert narrowly apocalypse by harmonizing with nature through renewables and organics, Power has got to move from your local authorities, got to move from the people you vote for to the people that you don't vote for, to the experts in places like Brussels and the United Nations and International Energy, to people who know how to get you right by nature. We have a new priest class, and we have a new set of witches. Race is the new moral order. We know it used to be people of color, but that wasn't precise enough. Now we know it's BIPOC, so it's black indigenous people to rule over Latinos and Asians on the moral hierarchy. It's got to be clear. You've got to feel guilty. There's no question, really, but you can get right by the new moral order by knowing your place. Get in your place. Know your race. Get in your place. 
We're not, it's not about equal justice under the law anymore. That's an old idea. Now it's, we're gonna, we're gonna have the laws enforced differently. Canada is pioneering this, California is pioneering this. We should be ruled by the victims. We can figure out who was victimized the most. They should have the most power. There's a new set of witches. A new view of human nature. You do have a soul, it's called your gender. Um, you're the god, you can change your body. However, forget what they say about chromosomes and whatnot, you can reshape your body. You are who you say you are. Drugs and surgery are gender affirming. Preventing drugs and surgery is conversion therapy and we have a new set of witches. Social media plays a role. Look at that, Jonathan Haidt is absolutely right. Anybody that's been reading Jonathan Haidt knows that he's won this argument. You got it, John, stop. You've convinced everybody. You've made us all anxious. We feel like, oh my God, everybody's watching me. Everyone can see me. It's Foucault's Panopticon, it's on your phone. Everybody can see, I'm, a, I'm there can see, I might be a bad person. I better get on the side of the bullies to protect myself. I better participate in the attacks on the witches or I might be victimized. Anxiety, anxiety. We see the rise of cluster B personality disorders are described as four different manifestations. Some people think there's just a single, doesn't matter. DSM, antisocial, borderline, histrionic, narcissistic. I'm not diagnosing anybody. That's not what I'm about to do. But you see behaviors and they, they're recognizable to you. The greatest scholar of narcissism, Sam Vaknin says, I'm, he says, I'm a narcissist, so take my word for it. Listen to me. <laughs> and Sam is brilliant. Certain people are prone to adopt victimhood as an identity. Victimhood endows their life with meaning. You know this type of person. They would be victims even in situations where they've not been victimized. Victimized. Look at me, I'm a victim. I have higher moral status than you because of it. So entitlement, grandiosity, I'm entitled to tell you what to do because I'm more of a victim than you. Splitting, you're against me. I need the attention, give it to me. Impaired reality, lack of empathy for oppressors, excessive empathy for victims. It's very dangerous if you're a perennial victim. This is your identity. You would tend to develop attendant behaviors. If you don't get special, become aggressive. You know what these folks are like. You feel like you're walking on eggshells around them. You're anxious around them. Splitting. Everyone says there is no black and white issue, said Greta Thunberg, but I think this is. Either we go on in civilization or we don't. We must stop using fossil fuels right now or you're a bad person. The infiltration of narcissists and psychopaths is universal in all these victimhood movements. They become the public face of the movement. If you're gonna go and celebrate your status by not wearing a mask and wearing a beautiful ball gown and everyone else is wearing masks, then you better explain that and you better explain why you're demanding that children wear masks in schools. What would lead otherwise decent people, I have no doubt that the people with their fists upheld are, I no doubt that they are empathic people, caring, care more. What would lead them to do this? To raise their fists above this young woman who later said in a Washington Post op-ed that she attended Black Lives Matter protests. She supports police reform. She just didn't think that she should have to raise her fists against a mob, that that's not what she understood the First Amendment in America to be about. If an individual in a position of political power is a psychopath, he or she can create an epidemic of psychopathology and people who are not essentially psychopathic 
They're not psychopaths. They're behaving like psychopaths. Create a culture of cluster B personality disorders. These are not the signs that people want to censor. They want to censor other people's signs, the signs that say people or your pronouns will be was, were. That's a death threat. That poster just went up in Britain today. The potential for aggression and victimhood movements is greater than in the general population. Anything that is grievance-based leads to violence and death. These boots stomp turfs. If you speak about a genocide against you and your folks, and there's no genocide, be very careful around these folks. That's dangerous. Because if you think a genocide is being perpetuated against your people, then almost anything is justified. This is antisocial personalities, personality behaviors, these kinds of things. Assaulting somebody for what they said. It's narcissism. Pay attention to me. I threw soup on a Van Gogh painting. <laughs> in the 1950s, these courageous students had milkshakes poured on their heads in order to be able to sit peacefully at a lunch in the South. Now they throw soup on the painting and they want to be famous. That's different motivations. That's not the same thing. Histrionic. My future's coming to an end. It's desperate. It must happen now. It's tempting to wonder, is it all coming to an end? Is this it? It's pretty dark. I never said it was going to be an uplifting speech. <laughs> Civilizations, on average, 336 years. That's uh, the most comprehensive study. We're at 250. It's been a good run. <laughs> Not so fast, right? Come on. It's the United States of America. This place is amazing. Amazing. We have the First Amendment. We have the First Amendment. And we're going to fight for it, right? We're a country of renewal. We're a country we want change. You can remake yourself. I'm a, I'm a, somehow I became a free speech advocate. I was like a nuclear power advocate like five minutes ago. The Netherlands was one of the first modern civilizations, rich. It's still, God, have you been to Amsterdam? Incredible. There's, they had an open drug scene, homeless crisis like we have, and they got people the care they needed. They got them in, intervened, got them on methadone, got them into recovery. Amsterdam is amazing. It's an old civilization, and they're doing great. You need at least these four things, equal justice under the law, meritocracy, cheap energy, freedom of speech. If you don't have them, you might be able to get away with the first three, but then it's not a liberal democracy if it's just the first three. So what do we do about it? You can't just condemn. My friends on the right, they love to condemn. Condemn, condemn, condemn. This is bad, bad, bad. It's not good enough. You have to explain it. So I've been trying to do. This is the most important book I read on this issue in the last couple of years. Politics is no, uh, Andrew, I'm going to butcher it, Lobachewski, Lobachewski, lived under the Nazis, lived under the, and lived under communism in Poland, a psychologist, and he said, it's not just, it's not just that totalitarianism, it's just that the institutions are immoral and wrong, it's all, yes, that's true, but the people in them, they're, they're psychopaths and narcissists. There's something wrong with the people that got in charge. 
It's a pathocracy, he said. It's a bureaucracy. How to get those people out? You can't have psychopaths and narcissists running your government. Naturally, we should take care when confronting monsters, lest we not become them ourselves. For me, having come back to my faith, this is the most important challenge. You've heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I can't do this, uh, but it makes me better to try. And I came back to it when trying to figure out how do you deal with personalities like the Cluster B personalities. It's not going to work if we hate them. It's going to take some courage. Some people are starting to show it. So thrilled Glenn Lowry's here, Glenn. Such a fan. Peter Bogosian, my new friend, doesn't believe in God, but strong, strong moral character, a man of courage. Uh, horrible things were done to Peter, and he is a better person for it and overcame it. That's how you deal with victimization. You're not trying to avoid being a and to overcome your victimization. That's the heroic journey. We're mortal. This is it, guys. Even if you think you're going to go on afterwards, as I do, it's not going to be this life again. You might be 19. You have a lot of years ahead of you. You're not going to be 19 again. What are you going to do when you're 19? What are you going to do now? Are you going to be brave or not? It's usually pretty clear, actually. You just got to do the work, too. You know, uh, you got to debunk the bad stuff. You just got to say it. It's wrong. You got to debunk it. You got to do it on Twitter. You got to do it in your books. Um, it works. You know, they start saying hatred is increasing everywhere. It's increasing in California. Really? Like, compared to, like, when? Like, the 50s? Like 500 years ago, there's more hate. There's less hatred among common people of racial, religious, and sexual minorities at any time in recorded history. I mean, seriously. So let's go look at the data. I'm not very good at math or statistics at all, but I'm familiar with the what's known as... Uh, Recording bias, you start recording a phenomenon, you get better at recording the phenomenon, you have to get better at accounting for your, you're getting better at recording it. So we're better at recording it. That's all this is. And they keep doing it. Um, I mean, look at these numbers, guys. I mean, like, have you ever met anybody that, don't, that doesn't think black and white people should be allowed to get married? But yet in 1961, thought that that should be legal. Americans are fundamentally optimistic people, so despite the propaganda, despite the misinformation, we think it's actually going to get better. So go read the footnotes and debunk that stuff. There could be an increase in reporting. That might have been the reason, said the researcher who put out the bullshit study <laughs> at UC Berkeley where the first thing you learn in your stats class is that there's a reporting bias. Come on, just debunk that stuff. And then go, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to make it seem like there's more hatred? What are you doing? Who gives you the right? How dare you? If there's more anti-Semitism in the society, I want to know. 
But if you start telling me that there's more anti-Semitism in society and there's not more anti-Semitism in society, shame on you. Oh, shame. That's terrible. You need to explain why you did that. Oh, such important newspapers. The New York Times and Financial Times. God, I used to want to be in those papers. I want to, oh, write op-eds for the New York Times and Financial Times. So much status and prestige. Look at the garbage they do. On the left, oh, look, at hurricanes are going up because of climate change. Look, we just put the data in. There it is. It, you should be able to debunk this bullshit in minutes. Train yourself to do it and do it quickly. Make it a competition. First one to debunk it wins. You get to go viral on Twitter. That's your reward. Status, there's nothing wrong with status, okay? Go get your status for the right things. Go get your status for your courage and your acuity and your speed and your, and your care and your compassion. It's total, utter bullshit. They cherry-picked post-1980 period to mislead the readers, the New York Times on the left, and then they did the exact same thing that they did with the hate data. Any better hurricane detection? What do you think happened over the last 100 years? Have you heard of satellites? You know how good satellites are at detecting hurricanes? Really freaking good. They don't miss a hurricane. Imagine 1900, you're on shore. Is there a hurricane out there? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> the New York Times published that. They did not correct it. And I made sure that the authors saw it, and they saw it. Landfalling, U.S. hurricanes are flat. This is the data. There's no other data source. It actually slightly declines, but it's probably not accurate because the data is the data. It's a little bit messy, but it's flat. There's no increase of hurricanes. There's still 2.5 billion people in the world that have to use wood and dung to get their energy. That is fucking bullshit. There is no reason for that. These people, they can get LPG and gas you interview women in the third world and you're like, what do you like about getting an LPG? Being able to cook a little pot of beans or rice as opposed to having to go get the wood and blow on the fire and breathe the smoke. What they say is they go, you know, when you get a little LPG and get the beans and the rice going, you can do something else. You can save labor. You can save your time. Cheap energy is women's liberation. The fact that some of the richest and most powerful people in the world are trying to deprive Sub-Saharan Africans and South Asians of natural gas and liquefied gas is a moral abomination. It's completely messed up. That's what's going on right now. They, we can lift everybody out of poverty. That's not, there's no physical reason you can't do it. It's just mental derangement that we can't. You grow more food on less land as we do in Europe and the United States, and there's more grasslands and forests for the wild animals. There's no sixth mass extinction. You can have everybody lift out of poverty and have more nature. Oh my God, it's incredible. I mean, think about it. On your deathbeds, maybe not mine, like there's no reason for anybody to be in poverty anymore. Excellent, excellent speech. And it's so ironic that the people in the richest countries like the United States of America and Great Britain and Canada are fighting for things that are actually giving the opposite outcome as they intended to people all over the world.
They don't understand that people are starving, that don't have enough food, that perhaps even the war with Russia, Ukraine is going to cause famines in Africa and just tons of death of young men, hundreds of thousands, excuse me. And people are, are social justice warriors for the very things to, for the very thing to help people and what they're doing is actually hurting people further or even more so than before. Like to not allow uh, growing economies in poorer countries to have the same energy, cheap energy that we have in the U.S. is a crime. It's terrible. People have not traveled outside the U.S. What they do is they shit on the country and they shit on everything that how everything is built here. And yet they have no perception of, at all about how everybody else in the world lives, how billions of people are below poverty and just how poor other people live. And people are yelling, walking around weighing 450 pounds with 1800 medications they take a day from Pfizer. And they're like, oh, you know what? Life's not fair. Eating, eating Roundup and, and, and snorting gluten and a whole bunch of catastrophes to your your system we are the richest country with the most unhealthy population it makes no sense nothing makes sense it's an, we have we have finally reached the upside down world where left is right up is down everything's opposite and we need to get everything back on track so we're going to fight for it that's what we do with this podcast that's why we share incredible speeches and information like this that's why we support peasants doing the right thing and we support our brothers and sisters no matter where they came from no matter what they look like we base it on their actions we ba- we judge you on the content of your character okay we don't care about the pigment of your skin okay we care about your attitude we care about how much you're helping society we care if you're on the side of the peasants that's what matters when it's all said and done but we need to fight for it so this is it. You're in the arena. What are you going to do about it? You're going to share the information. You're going to go cry in a hole. You're going to yell at the mirror and be like, oh my God, life's so unfair. Or you're going to try and do things to better yourself. You're going to write three things you're grateful for at night. You're going to wake up early. You're going to go to the gym. You're going to exercise. You're going to eat well. What are you going to do? The choice is yours. Because if we all look inwards and make ourselves healthy mentally, physically, spiritually, and everybody does that, then all this shit works out. But you need to get started. You can't be quiet while everything just happens. You are living in a special era where there's a revolution on humanity. This is a revolution. We're in the midst of a revolution and people don't even know it. This is a beautiful thing or it can be an awful thing. And what I mean by that is Mo Gadot, who was the chief business officer of Google X, go listen to a lot of his speeches. I was just listening to him talk about how he's an expert with AI and how 2029 could be the singularity where man and machine are the same, but he's saying that by 2035, 2037, okay, basically in 15 years, that the people living that era will look back and they won't even recognize how our society lived. Everything will be so different and life will be so different when they look back at how people lived in 2023, it won't even be recognizable. It will seem like it's cavemen or before that. That's how quickly things are about to change. And you have the elites who are trying to gain power forever. Because if you get the power in this last stage with AI and all these totalitarian controls they could put in place, it's over. You're never going to, you can never push back. You can never have a revolution. You can never get your freedom back if it's taken. It's never coming back. It's over. 
They have all of the technology to be put in place where you ain't getting nothing back. So this is it. This is our time. This is your time. What you do with it is up to you. But I'll tell you this, whether you have kids or not, you don't want to be able to have the next generation of people say, oh, if only they fought for us. If only they did the right thing and stood up for us. If only they didn't throw away our freedom like it was nothing. So again, the choice is yours. And I wasn't going to play this, but I will play since, you know, I played his whole speech. He uh, gave another talk recently and uh, it's seven minutes, 36 seconds. And since we played it, let's just play it now. They asked him about the censorship industrial complex. The, the, the topic of the discussion was how people who seem to care the most, like people in San Francisco, have outcomes that provide the worst city where there's, it's a zombie town. People are dying on the streets. It's disgusting. It's all trashy. And they care. And these people say they care more so than any other people. They're the ones that care. They're the ones that are doing everything for the people. And yet their policies are resulting in the worst city in the United States of America. Why is that? It's a question worth asking and an answer worth exploring. So they asked him, though, in this topic of this discussion about the censorship industrial complex. And since that is what's going on right now, we're going to play this clip for you because you should listen to it. And it's right on topic. So let's play this real quick. Here we go. Again, this is Michael Schellenberger. Different discussion. Take a listen. New York graduated from high school in 1989. Uh, I was very liberal, very progressive kid. And we were very proud of the fact that the Supreme Court upheld the right to burn flags. Do you guys remember this? Yes. We were like, wow, that's amazing. And, and the Republicans were against burning flags and Democrats were for burning flags, <laughs> at least the right to burn flags. And I remember my dad, a very liberal family, and he would say, you know, ACLU, those guys, you know, they're, they, they defended the neo-Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois. And I just remember him being like, kind of like, that's rough and but respect. Um, boy, things have changed uh, since then. We have uncovered since December a significant, not just operation, but apparatus funded by the U.S. government, working with supposedly non-governmental organizations, many funded by the government, to engage in widespread censorship of, of constitutionally protected speech on Facebook and Twitter. We would not have known about this if Elon Musk had not bought Twitter actually criticized Elon person of the Twitter files journalist that criticized Elon Musk uh, repeatedly made for a little awkward person um, but I'd criticized him because his supply chains are a nightmare in terms of from Congo to China and whatnot but um, really we owe Elon Musk a, a great debt of gratitude for allowing us to reveal and we did know part of your lawsuit with the attorneys general that Facebook was doing it but it's a very, uh, it was very organized. It's often through Department of Homeland Security. You may know that last year around now, the Department of Homeland Security proposed a disinformation governance board, which was rightly attacked by, by both left and right, to be fair. And they dropped it within a few weeks because we don't regulate speech in the United States. You know, we have a First Amendment. And I never thought in my, I never thought either in my early career on the left or my career now, wherever I am, um, 
I never thought I would have to defend the First Amendment, but I found myself testifying in front of Congress defending the First Amendment, as, as did you, Aaron, and, and I've learned a little bit about it, but one of the things I've learned, there's always been a debate around, you know, is the First Amendment and free speech sort of a sacred right, we call it an inalienable right, or a natural right, is it something that we you just have, or is it sort of instrumental, like you need free, you need free speech to have democracy and capitalism, and I'm, I'm on team inalienable rights, personally. Um, I'm such a loudmouth and a disagreeable person. You know, for me, speech, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's just part of being human. Like, I wouldn't want to live if I couldn't express myself, my feelings about things. I don't think you can be a truly realized human potential, to come back to Viktor Frankl, where the talk started, I don't think you can realize your, your full human potential if you don't have the right to express yourself, including around controversial social and political ideals. And so, shockingly, I did feel the need to make that case for that. We have discovered a censorship industrial complex. It sort of starts in the war on terrorism. There's this wonderful concept that I've come to more and more, so simple, called the overproduction of elites by a guy named Peter Turchin. Uh, you don't have to read the book, like, you'll get it right away. Like, there's too many educated people and there's nothing for us to do, <laughs> is kind of the idea of the overproduction. And so we then end up kind of becoming parasites or wanting to censor each other. One of the questions we always have is like, how much of the censorship industrial complex that we've uncovered is sort of organic? Like, is it wokeism and it's just annoying hall monitor type people who they can't, you know, they won't debate me. Like, literally, they will not debate me, but they work behind the scenes to censor me. I mean, what kind of a person? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, that's a particular kind of person. It's a hall monitor person. It's like the East German Stasi people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you ever see The Lives of Others, a beautiful film, buying on your neighbors? Like, there's something wrong with you. It's psychopathology or something, right? Bad boundaries. And so there's some of that, but then there's also an inorganic part. It's clearly coming from, you know, reaction to Trump in particular, 2016 and Brexit, CIA, NATO, DHS, FBI, they felt like these Trump populist Republicans, that it was, it threatened NATO and the ability to particularly engage in a war in Ukraine. So we've seen now increasing censorship of speech on Ukraine. Facebook is openly censoring uh, anti-war views on uh, related to Ukraine. The head of Facebook's censorship program is a former PR officer for NATO. Uh, the person that I always had my, I had my eye on very early is a person named Renee Duresta because she was always like the smartest person. Like she would be these Aspen Institute talks about disinformation, which are always code for censorship. And I was like, who is that person? We discovered she came out of the CIA. So I wrote a piece called Why Renee DeResta Leads the Censorship Industry. She did not like that. Um, she, I knew I had to provoke her and have a fight with her. So I criticized her and then again in Congress and it still didn't work. Um, I know how to be a proper So I went on to Joe Rogan finally. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, I try not to make any personal attacks, but I felt like I needed to get this one out there, so I called her a snob. And lo and behold, that was enough. <laughs> and so she tried to get the show to take the show down from Spotify. And uh, of course, we had all the evidence, and so she, you know, we were able to defend it. But uh, yeah, we're in the midst of it. Uh, it's uh, we have to. It's happening here. It's happening in in other English-speaking, all the English-speaking countries, what we used to call the Five Eyes countries, because these are countries where the game is that if, if CIA wants to spy on Michael Schellenberger, they can't do it here, so they would get like the British or the Israelis or, or the Canadians to do it, and then we do it for them. It's called the Five Eyes relationship since World War II. They do that now with censorship, so there's a British think tank that's trying to get me censored mostly just through character assassination and trying to keep me out of the news, but also to censor me on Facebook, which I am censored on. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's ongoing. It's, uh, it's still here. We have to basically defund these groups. Uh, we have to defund the main group inside of the Department of Homeland Security called the Cybersecurity Security Agency to stop National Science Foundation from funding censorship organizations in different universities. So there, I'll end on this. I'll end on this because you've been here for a while and I appreciate it. And please subscribe and share the John of the Kogan show. There's never been a time where we have been alive that is more important than now, where our decisions will shape decades, if not centuries of the future. What we choose to do today and then in the next couple of years, the next five years, the next 10 years is going to shape civilization for the next hundred years, if perhaps 200 years. This is it. You're, you happen to be alive at a really weird, interesting inflection point in human civilization. And how it goes in the future is up to us. It's up to the peasants, every single one of us. And you do play a role in this by sharing the information, by exploring and searching for the truth, by not having biases and reacting on your emotions that they're trying to pull and poke from the mainstream media and propaganda outlets, whether it's video, whether it's written word, whether it's Twitter, whatever it is, you got a lot of forces. All the money is against you. All the forces, all the, uh, the political class, the elites are all against you. Everything's against you. So you need to swerve in and out of traffic like Frogger to find out what's true and not true and be willing to look at places you would have never looked before because you were told it's a lie or you were told someone is a danger to democracy. Go listen to that person. Just go to the source yourself. Dissect it. Learn about it. If you think something's sketchy, research it. Deep. I mean, second page of Google deep, not first page because they do quiet censorship, soft censorship. You need to really look. You've got to take advantage of Twitter right now. You got to take advantage of Substack and you really need to take advantage of podcasts because podcasts could shape the future of the political class. And we are a small little drop in the pond of this movement of freedom, pro-human, pro-earth, pro-peasant, and pro-whatever's best for human civilization forever. So that's it. That's all I got for you today. I really, really hope you enjoyed those speeches. I hope you enjoyed the content. I, if you've been here a while, I hope you appreciate the pod. I hope you've shared it. I really do. I really appreciate you. I love you. Happy July 4th. If you're somewhere else in the world, happy random 4th of July, which doesn't mean anything to you. But I'll tell you what. July 4th, 1776 was the beginning of an era where the United States of America, whatever you think of it, is definitely a shining light 
in this dark, dark time that we are currently living in, and we are approaching a much brighter and lighter time. But just know that we can overcome. We have the ability to do it now together. We have the freedom. We have the tools with the internet. We can get around this. We can defeat the censorship industrial complex. We can bring the peasants to the top of the, of the food chain. It comes down to you. What are you going to do about it? I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to keep making podcasts for you. Lit podcasts, rumbles, YouTubes, whatever you want to call it. Twitter videos at KOGZ. Please subscribe to the channel. Thank you for coming out today. Happy 4th of July. You're amazing. And I hope you join this fight with us. We need you. We really, really need you. I love you. God bless. I'll see you later.